Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we're talking about the request for proposal process and tips to achieve better outcomes for both government and industry. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Becoming a Skyway community member makes it easier to navigate the complicated world of government contracting because you gain context from Skyway's team of former contracting officers. Go to skywaymember.com to get started with a personal membership because without context, you're likely overlooking problems that you don't see. Okay, let's get started talking about RFPs. We've talked about the government's request for a proposal process on quite a few podcasts, and we still get the question, why do RFPs take so long? What causes the government to, to not keep up with their originally published schedule? One of the reasons is there are lots of players involved on both sides of, of the acquisition process. I mean, it can feel like you're planning a family trip. We, you have a lot of opinions. You have a lot of people who want to have a say, who, who have a right to have a say. <laughs> but the more people you have, the more difficult it is to make everybody happy. I think in my family, my dad just said, here's what we're doing and no one else got a say. That <laughs> <laughs> simplifies the it was, process. It was not a democratic vacation selection process. Well, yeah, I'm talking about when you have in-laws and parents and and uh, potentially even other cousins that are all meeting and, <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm not doing that again. <laughs> it gave me flashbacks of, you know what, this feels a lot like trying to plan an RFP. And I get it. The RFP release is very far <laughs> from a vacation. I get that. But it has an oddly entertaining number of similarities between those two. In this episode, we're going to talk about the things that can cause the RFP release to be delayed or take longer than planned and kind of link it to summer vacation planning. But first, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Jake Zimmerman from Accelera Systems for joining the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn and, and engaging us and our content on LinkedIn. One of the great things about the podcast is that we can reach lots of people. The downside is we have no idea who they are. When people join the Contracting Officer Podcast group on LinkedIn, like Jake did, that's like raising your hand. It helps us get to know our actual listeners, not who we think is listening, so we can serve them better. Thanks, Jake. Back to vacation planning. I mean, RFP release planning. My schedule used to be easy. When I was single, when I worked at Wright-Patterson, when I first met you, I had no problem getting to work on time, getting all the kinds of stuff I wanted to do. I had hobbies, whatnot. There was only one calendar. And there was only one vacation schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you get, when I got married, it got a bit more complicated, but we were basically able to throw all of our stuff in the car and we'd go on trips for a weekend. It was easy. Now, fast forward about 20 years. We have two near teenagers. We have a pair of actively involved grandparents. We have several engaging volunteer positions. And so my baseball stories, they right. I have a couple of cool business activities, including this podcast and then running Skyway. And now it's complicated. Now schedules overlap and potentially have conflicting issues. So schedules are harder to manage. And my point isn't to complain about being busy. Right? My life's much more full now <laughs> than when I was single. So this isn't a bad thing. It's just a transition. I understand that things get more complicated. My point is that there are now other schedules to consider when I want to do something. Right. So that's the idea behind it. In government contracting, the complexity of the teams involved on both sides, individually or collectively, creates pressure on the schedule in the same way is that it's not like you're buying one thing with a government credit card 
which is the equivalent of back when I was single. Now, a multi- multiple award contract with multiple players gets more complicated. Oddly enough, planning a family summer vacation reminded me of, of a summer that I spent as a contracting officer trying to get an RFP out the door. And having all these conflicting schedules and conflicting opinions and you know, what do we do here? I'm not sure what that says about my sense of humor, but those two actually tie together in my head. All right, let me drag this back to government RFP from the history of Kevin's vacation planning <laughs> struggles. <laughs> like you were talking about, going from being single to being married to having kids. To having a company and a podcast. To release a request for proposal on the government side, it takes a couple people. Much like when you were single and it was easy to go on vacation or just married, just you and your wife going on a vacation. Simple purchases, generally just somebody with the money, somebody with a need, and a contracts person to actually buy it. The larger the acquisition becomes, the more people get involved. Just to get that RFP out the door on the government side, you have people like the user, the person that's going to end up needing it, right? The program manager, the director, the economic decider we talk about. But now you've added a contract specialist, potentially. Of course, you also have the contracting officer. You may have a small business professional or a small business specialist. Depending on how big of a program, you may have a budget analyst. You may even have a pricer because there's a price analysis piece to this. Of course, you start adding lawyers. You, you have a procurement analyst who is usually approving your overall acquisition strategy and the steps along the way. And then each of these people has a supervisor and maybe even their staff is going to be looking at it. So for example, if you go to the director of procurement, their staff along the way is going to also look at it. So you may only go up one layer, but you're getting like three or four different people looking at it. It exponentially increases the number of cooks in the kitchen. Oh, sorry, there's a new analogy. Number of people that get the vote along we go from vacation. Right, I was going to say, you're adding opinions along the way. The complexity requires additional experts to help you write a clear request for a proposal. These are people that are going to have to evaluate the responses. So every one of them has an opinion on what goes in the request for a proposal. They may have conflicting opinions about what goes in the request for a proposal. And before long, you end up with one of those 500-page RFPs that takes forever for the people at the end of the line to review. And that if you go up to the director of procurement or whatever the highest levels of, of approval are, they may not have time to read or take the time to read any of it. They're relying on more opinions. Yeah, well said. Is that, that, that Who has time to read a three, four, or 500-page RFP? Particularly when it needs to get done in a week. that <laughs> They weren't planning for it. See how this just snowballs. So in the end, the contracting officer is responsible for wrapping the bow around this thing and getting it delivered. But the contracting officer can't do it alone. On the industry side, the team waiting for the RFP kind of scales with the, the size of the government team releasing the RFP. For a simple acquisition, if it's, like you said, a credit card purchase, the government procurement specialist might go to a website, click on a button, and automatically an order is placed. There's nobody really waiting for it on the other side. It just sort of happens. For relatively simple acquisitions, a very small team may respond to the request for a proposal. I know when I work for a very small business, there were three or four of us. That's all it took to get a proposal out the door. 
as the size of the RFP grows and the amount of documents requested in the response grows, the team required to write those and review those grows. And not just review the documents, but review the overall plan. So up front, there could be a capture and business development or sales team, a technical team made up of engineers or software developers or people who know the solution. Then there might be technical writers because those engineers and software developers might know the solution, but don't know how to put that down on paper. And proposal writers, proposal managers, for some things, just like the government side, you may get lawyers back involved. All these people have opinions. You wouldn't think that would impact the government's ability to get an RFP out the door. But when the government's sharing information through industry days, requests for information, draft RFPs and RFPs, if there's only three or four people that read it and have opinions and get to ask questions about it, it's one thing. If there's a whole cast of characters on the industry side that are going to read it, you might get questions from all of those people I just talked about, which just takes longer to review and respond. Again, it's the number of opinions that add to the complexity. And that doesn't even include the subcontractors. There's a whole different conversation that each, if you had three or four subcontractors, they all have their own proposal manager, technical team, business development, <laughs> etc. So it can, the, the umbrella of complexity can explode pretty quickly. And that's something I never saw as a contracting officer because I don't work with the subcontractors. That information is getting flowed through the primes who are potential primes, the offerers. It's getting flowed down to those subs, and they're all having, they're all waiting. They're all waiting for this to come out. Right. All right, let's go to FAR time. FAR 1.102 is the statement of guiding principles of the FAR. And 1.102C says the acquisition team consists of all participants in government acquisition, including not only representatives of the technical supply and procurement communities but also the customers they serve and the contractors who provide the products and services. Interesting. So it's not only the people buying it, but it's the users and the contractors. So the FAR has built this in. They've built in the complexity of the whole team. It specifically says, these are all the players. It doesn't actually say everybody gets a vote, but it says these are part of the team, which implies that they would have some kind of input or vote. So when you allow industry to participate in the development of the acquisition strategy in the RFP, you add more opinions, you add more complexity, you add more people, and it ends up taking longer. Now, the hope, as we've talked about on many, many podcasts, the hope is that if you spend this time up front, it reduces the time it takes after the RFP is released to evaluate proposals. Because contractors target better and you get less proposals that are better written to your requirements that are easier to evaluate and they're not protested because everybody understood exactly what you wanted and everyone understood that the best company wins. And then you go to program execution and everything works because everything everybody was communicating. That's the ultimate. That's the reason why taking more time up front should help the process. Yeah, we, we beat this drum a lot. Right. The reason I like having this FAR reference in there is that this isn't folklore. I mean, it actually says in the FAR, 1.102C says you're all on the same team, we, which to me, the way that, what I blatantly hear the FAR saying there is you've got to communicate earlier. It's actually in the FAR. So when the lawyer says, no, you can't talk to industry yet, show them that. FAR <laughs> 1.102C, show them that. Back to planning the family trip. 
if your only requirement is we're going to take a vacation, that leaves you lots of options. Do you go camping? Do you take a cruise? Do you go visit your in-laws? <laughs> that's, that's more family trip than vacation. And like you said, if it's just you deciding what to do for that vacation, pretty easy to make a decision. Hopefully easy to make a decision. But when you add a spouse and multiple children, they all have opinions. Some might want a beach. Some want, might want the mountains. Some might like a very busy schedule where you're doing lots of tourism kind of things. Some just want rest and relaxation. Oh, we just did that last year. Plus, some options get choked off by time of, of, not, of indecision. If you want to go see Hamilton in New York City, you probably should have booked that a year ago. <laughs> right. So when somebody says, hey, let's go to New York and see a show, well, that, that was a decision we missed the window on. So a lot of different variables to this. Same thing happens with the RFP development cycle. There's lots of options, assuming that you have a requirement to start with. There are a lot of options with how do you acquire that requirement. Standalone contract, can you sole source it? Do you use a GSA schedule acquisition, a multiple award contract? What type of contract should you use? Should you set aside for small businesses? There's a lot of basic decisions right up front. There are lots of opinions about what strategy to use. Because a user is going to want the best ever solution. The contracting officer is going to want the best deal, which may be the cheapest, but not always, but it's going to be the best deal. The economic decider, which is a person who wants the funds to be obligated, they just may want to get it done. Right. So the combination of you have a user who wants quality, an economic decider who wants speed, and a CEO who wants the best deal, those are conflicting. So those are different opinions. And then you have the compliance folks who they just want to make sure it's done right, and they're not as concerned about necessarily about speed or about the best deal. They want it done right because their issue is the process. The compliance folks are looking at the process. Just like trying to go see Hamilton in New York City at the last minute, some of the options the government has for acquisition can get choked off by the time crunch. Like we talked about on the Colors of Money episode, expiring money can create a rush to acquire, which may rule out some more complex acquisition plan options. Or if the agency's priorities change. J just before award, if the expectation was, you know, we're going to have funding for this particular program and it takes six months longer to award it, well, in that six months, something else comes up and you're now, we talked about in one episode, being above or below the cut line. What are the priorities for that agency? Well, if you're at the bottom of that cut line, but you're, you're above it, but then all of a sudden, whoops, you're the, one, you're, the, you're the first one below it. Just like that, you lost your funding, which means you don't have the ability to buy something. And that can be an option that's choked off. I can't tell you how many times we've been mid-acquisition planning to acquire something new. And a, another big program in the agency has a massive overrun show up. And all of the money gets sucked out of everyone else's budget to go pay those bills to, to solve problems. And you're left empty-handed, either have to cancel the acquisition or change the strategy how much, how soon you want to buy. And in that time, I have to change that strategy. The key people who are going to be involved in the evaluation or writing the criteria or both may or may not be available. The ability of time to choke off options is something that needs to be considered. Let's talk about when this occurs in the time zones. This is in the acquisition time zones. We're talking 
about the market research zone and the RFP zone when the government is developing an acquisition strategy with industry per the FAR. This comes after the requirement zone. Like we said, we're assuming there is a basic requirement here like must take vacation. And we're not talking about evaluating the options. We're talking about why it can take longer than expected to build a plan and release a request for proposal. If you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, episode three is the first time we touched them, and we actually revisited them in episode 231. Why is it important to keep talking about the RFP process, the acquisition process? Why does this thing take so long is a common question. It's a common or common complaint. It's a common frustration. Without context on what's happening, it has the black box effect where you don't understand what's happening. Therefore, your instinct is to be frustrated or or cynical and assume that what are they doing? They're just torturing me. Right. We've talked about open communication many, many times on the podcast. Without that communication, if industry feels like the RFP development process is, is in that black box, they assume that people are sitting there idle or or lazy or incompetent, not true, and can be alleviated by the government just publishing a little more information. Usually, there's an initial acquisition schedule published, especially for big complex things that says, we plan to release a draft on this day and a final on this day. When that doesn't happen, sometimes the government just goes silent. Sometimes the government says, we're going to release it in a couple months, Sometimes the government gives a specific new date of we will release it on this day. The more specific that that schedule is, the easier it is for both sides to plan. And what you mean by specificity is if the the communication says draft RFP on June 1st, final RFP on September 1st. There's a lot of stuff that happens between those two dates. And if that's the black box, there's no context on what's happening in those three months, then the expectation is it's torture. Because people are cynical, they're frustrated, that they're just like, oh, you're just holding on to it, you're on vacation, you're blowing me off. Right. All of those bad thoughts come from that black box effect of all I see are two dates, and I have no idea what's happening between them. If there's a major milestone, if there's a review that has to happen on the government side in order to get to that September 1st release date, as soon as that review slips to where you know you're not going to release it on September 1st, if the government publishes, hey, the acquisition review gate has moved three weeks back. We expect that the RFP will be released three weeks later. That helps industry plan. Let's get back specifically to the government side. Why should the government care about communicating the acquisition schedule and and changes to it? Well, the far answer is look at (laughs) 1.102. The industry's on the team. But the bigger answer is if you want better contracts that, that lead to better outcomes, better better results for the customer. That's the point of the contract is to connect somebody that can do the work with somebody who needs it, right? The better outcome is going to result from better contracts through better communication because the contract is something that enables that result. The communication that's happening throughout this process gives industry context. When industry has context, they can provide better products. They can, they can self-eliminate. They can schedule better. They can turn things around faster if they know that it's coming. Like it's realistic to shorten the proposal response time if they know what that short period is going to be. And it happens when you think it's going to happen. And that's why we do episodes like this. So that both sides have context on why the RFPs are not delivered in a vacuum or by a robot. These are people all touching different pieces of it and, and making sure that we understand what those steps are 
like you said, if there's a three week delay, the sooner you let people know what that three week delay is going to be, the better they are to plan for it. So what to do about this from the government side is publish the entire acquisition schedule. I'm not talking about just the draft RP comes out here, final RP comes out here. Talk about we expect that it's going to take us three weeks to evaluate the responses and questions we get to the draft RFP. That way, if you get 500 questions instead of 50, then you say, well, we thought it was going to take three weeks. Actually, it's going to take six weeks. Context. Just like that, they have context. Man, is it scary to publish your entire acquisition schedule, including the sub milestones, because then you have to stick to them. I used to hate having that out in public. Well, and that's the scary part of it. But, yeah. And that's the it's, it's counterintuitive because on one hand, I don't want to put it out there because people are going to pick at it. But on the other hand, if you put it out there and say, please don't pick at it, here it is. They're going to pick at it anyway. If they think it's a black box, they're going to pick at it because they don't know what's in it. They want, they're, they're trying to get context. Yeah. They're desperate to know how likely is it that this is actually going to come out September 1st versus March 1st of next year, which yeah. I'm raising my hand because we had one that <laughs> got delayed that long because it was just so complicated. Later in my career as a contracting officer, I would actually use publishing the acquisition schedule to drag the rest of the government bureaucracy towards that schedule. I could say, I told industry that the draft was going to be out on this day. So we need to have this meeting to review it with the big boss prior to that, because we already told them this was the day, so we can't delay it. I kind of, kind of flipped from not wanting to be exposed to using that exposure to my advantage. It's effective to over-communicate because what you did in that case, you got other people on the side of your schedule because they had context. They knew why it was important to have that meeting before a certain date. Right. Otherwise, it's just Paul asking for something. Well, they may not care what Paul thinks. <laughs> they rarely if, care what Paul thinks. <laughs> whereas if the program cares, it's a different conversation. But that came from context. You gave them context. Let's flip to the industry side. Why does industry care about RFP schedules? We've talked before on the podcast about how complicated and expensive it can be for industry to respond to a request for a proposal. It's a bit of a cost management exercise that is, is hampered by a lack of schedule awareness. In order to write a large, complex proposal, industry needs a lot of people with varied skill sets. It's prohibitively expensive to have an entire team ready to respond to the RFP, just sitting there waiting until the government releases it. It becomes a bit of a just-in-time exercise. You want to have the right people there right at the right time. If you know the RFP is going to come out on September 1st, you can have a proposal manager ready to go. You can have the right technical staff to describe the solution ready to go. You can have management, the upper-level management that has to review a proposal release, all lined up in order to get the reviews done and get the proposal finalized and submitted on a certain day, on September 1st. If that slips and they don't know, those people are there ready, drawing a paycheck and costing the company money, but not actually being productive. Let me throw in two additional pieces to this. One, this is not exclusive to large businesses with large acquisitions. It's relative. A, we, we had a client with a $5 million contract, which is not giant, but to them it was because they were a $15 million a year business. So relative to them to have the right people at the right time, all that, it's the same difficulty. They got to be able to manage those resources properly because when you scale the size of the company to the size of the opportunity, this, this calculus still works. It's still going to be a challenge. Second thing is, yes, the cost is going to be a huge driver, but there's also availability of people. 
is that if you're looking for that person who has that background and that experience in your company, they may already be working on a program and you think they're going to be available to write this proposal. But it turns out that pick a thing. They're working on a different program. They're on vacation. They took a new job. They get picked up on a different <laughs> right. All these variables you can't control. So, so in, on, on the government side, I used to think, well, I don't care what the, what the contractor has to spend. It's cynical, but I mean, really, it's not the same thing. But if, it's another thing to say they may not be able to do it. They may not have right. the person to turn the proposal around. So the comp- the perfect company that can do this for your agency so well is literally going to have to opt out because they had scheduled that person to be available for a particular month, and you moved it four months without telling them, and they put that that person on someone else's program, and all this, or or they're gone for whatever reason, and now you don't have access to that superpower brain. That doesn't serve your customer well. And so just something to be aware of because I didn't see it as a CEO. Another thing that can happen is industry may have the wrong people set aside to respond to the RFP. If the government has made changes to the requirements along the way and not communicated those well, industry may be all ready to submit one proposal, but a different proposal is required. Going back to your vacation analogy, it's sort of like planning for a summer trip, a beach vacation. So you got your flip-flops and your and your your good beach reading book all ready to go. <laughs> And the RFP slips, 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 slips. Next thing you know, it's a winter ski trip that we're going on. But industry might still be packed for that summer trip if you haven't told them that. So, you know, they really needed their heavy coat and their ski boots and their goggles. And what's that mean for the acquisition? It means that the government is not going to get proposals that respond to their requirements or they're not going to get the best solutions to the requirements. And that impacts everything along the way. Harder to evaluate Harder to know if you selected the right person, harder for industry to execute, and that all gets back to the mission. The user may not get what they really wanted if communications have broken down along the way. Industry doesn't just have a team of people sitting aside waiting to write proposals. It's it's way too expensive to do that. And and that cost it's not just cost to industry, it's cost to the government, because that all goes into their rates in the end, right? That's how much it costs to get the work done. Every company wants to be as low cost as possible to have a better chance of winning. So they don't want to have a lot of people sitting around doing nothing. Wendy Freeman, one of our Skyway team members, she's actually one of the, she's been on the podcast a few times. She does a lot of proposal work for our clients. And she talks about the proposal work being spiky. It's very up and down. This is one of the reasons is that that spike is following the shifting schedule. We'll say it that way. Yeah. People are all on or all off on proposals. Yeah, like that's a good way to say it. You're all in or not at all. All right, Kevin, let's wrap this one up. On the government side, communicate how many people are on this family trip that are involved. It, it gives people some context. It may be a lot. It may be a few. But, but by showing industry how many players there are or giving them some con- – you don't have to list the names. I get that. But giving them some context on how many steps there are in the process gives them context. And that helps industry set expectations so that they're not as frustrated that the tone of their, their questions <laughs> to your RFP might be different. You want their expectations to align with yours as much as can be done. The bigger the acquisition, the more opinions. Just like you were talking about, the bigger the family, the more opinions and the more inputs. And that impacts industry as well. The bigger the acquisition, the more people are required to respond to it and the more people are interested in it and want to review it and have an opinion. <laughs> there you go. Industry folks, be ready for changes to the government acquisition schedule and ask those questions of the government acquisition team if they're not being open with the schedule. 
give them context for why it matters. If you help the government understand why you need the information, they might be more likely to share that information rather than than keeping it all inside the black box. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to our sponsor, Skyway Acquisition. Skyway guides companies like yours through the government acquisition process. Visit askskyway.com to learn how Skyway can help your company win more business. We'll see you next week. Thank you.